This week, Mi'kmaq Matters receives federal funding to intervene in the environmental assessment of the Valentine Lake Megamine. And, after 21 years of waiting for Canada to implement the Marshall decision, Mi'kmaq fishers in Nova Scotia take to the water in their very own moderate livelihood fishery. I'm Glenn Wheeler, and this is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about Mi'kmaq people, politics, land, and water. This is episode 152, and a thank you to listeners like Ian Warford, who support us via patreon.com forward slash Matters or by email transfer to mi'kmaq.matters at gmail.com. And with me, I have Allison Baker. Uh, Allison, nice to have you in real time. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here on air for once. <laughs> yes, and um, I guess it's, you know... It, Sometimes we're a little bit uncomfortable when we when we are the news. So it's uh, usually we're talking about what other people are doing, and now we are sort of in a different role, I guess. And um, the impact agency of impact assessment agent of Canada is the federal government uh, arms length agency that uh, is in charge of environmental assessments. And as part of that, they give out funding to community groups, uh, indigenous groups to take part in the environmental assessment, to look at what the proponent, in this case, Marathon Gold, proposes, review it critically, and highlight any, what they might regard as shortcomings. So that's, I guess, where our role here is to use this uh, public money to bring an independent view of, uh, of the Marathon Gold proposal. Exactly, yeah. And I think it's important that we create an episode just to discuss, or part of an episode, to talk about the funding just for full transparency for our listeners as well, right? We've always valued communication and, you know, being very honest with our listeners, um, and this is no different. So do you want to kind of tell our listeners uh, a little bit about the funding, like where it's from and what it's for? Yeah, so it's from, it's, uh, it's, it's public funding. It's, so it's taxpayers' dollars from the Impact Agency, Impact Assessment Agency of Canada. And none of the money is for Mi'kmaq Matters or for the podcast or for you and me, Allison. It is money that will be uh, used for three main things, to hire two people, to review the Marathon Goal proposal and to do research. And those two people are Brian McLaren, who is a biologist at Lakehead University in Thunder Bay, Ontario. Uh, he's uh, head of the Natural uh, Resource Management Department there. And he used to work, Richard McLaren, uh, Brian McLaren used to work in at Memorial uh, some years ago. And so he's familiar with the Newfoundland uh, caribou herds and he will be assisted by Richard Wang who is from Newfoundland but is now doing a Master of Science degree at Trent University in Peterborough, Ontario and uh, Richard as part of his um, his uh, degree at Memorial studied uh, caribou. His thesis was on Strategies for sharing space in a predator-prey relationship, drivers for local coyote and caribou. Of course, 
one of the uh, many challenges for caribou in Newfoundland is the uh, is the coyote population, which is um, factors in in uh, uh, reducing uh, caribou population. So uh, that's the bulk of the funding is to pay for their time. Um, Richard will be uh, looking at the information about caribou in Newfoundland as we as we have it right now and and Brian McLaren when the environmental impact statement comes out which we think will be in the next month or so we'll use that background information to evaluate the marathon goal document and then we have some money in there to have a, a public meeting and uh, you know, we're still in the days of COVID so we don't know if this will be a virtual meeting or a public meeting or some combination of both but there will be a meeting where Brian and Richard will report to members of Halibut and members of the public and take questions about their the results of their work so that's that's where the money's going yeah it's a massive deal for us I think uh, to get this funding and to be able to have that independent assessment and the name Brian McLaren might be uh, familiar to our listeners in that he has been on the, the podcast before um, talking about caribou protection in in regards to Valentine Lake um, I think that was back in April, uh, episode 134. If listeners wanted to go and listen to that as well, it might be a, a good brush up on Brian and his background and his, uh, his expertise. I think also this week, it's been a very big week for uh, Mi'kmaq Matters and just Mi'kmaq people, um, but the draft of the socioeconomic agreement between Halpu and Marathon was released as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It was a strange day because um, first I got the email saying that we got this money. I couldn't even uh, say yay because I had to maintain my composure because uh, I was at work on this uh, work Zoom call. And then shortly after, I got an email with the uh, announcing um, a draft of the of this uh, socioeconomic agreement between uh, Halibu and Marathon, which I tried to skim as I was on this work call. It uh, strange how, th- how things happen at the same time like that. But also, this uh, we are talking on Sunday, September 20th right now. And this past week, on Thursday night, uh, there was a Zoom call between uh, Marathon and uh, the band manager of Halibu, Keith Golding, uh, one member of Halibu Council, Andy Barker, from Central, and about um, about a half a dozen Halibu members um, to talk about the socioeconomic agreement. And uh, we'll have more to say about um, this agreement and um, and the elements and the weaknesses of it. But um, uh, basically, it um, provides for various committees of Halibu and, and Marathon, an environmental stewardship committee, and there is uh, uh, also an engagement committee. Um, but I think what people will see when they read through the document is that these committees have the power to make recommendations to Marathon. And I think the question that people will have to ask is how much, how much bite there is in this uh, document for Halibu members and people concerned about the environment and whether there is more in it for Marathon than there is for Halibu, its members, or the caribou. Because, of course, this is um, 
you know, is good PR for, uh, for Marathon, especially since we will get the environmental impact statement uh, next month. And as Marathon said on the call on Thursday night, Jamie Powell of Marathon, he did acknowledge that the caribou route goes through this development zone. And he also said that if they were choosing a site for a massive gold mine, this would not be the site, but this is where the gold is. And this is where they're building the mine. So it is, um, as we've said on previous episodes, it's a, a uh, very, it's one of the most environmentally sensitive areas of Newfoundland being on the height of land uh, next to uh, sources of water and on these caribou migratory routes. Uh, so we will be watching with great interest to see what's in that uh, report. We definitely will. And again, I'm sure we'll have more episodes to come um, regarding that and regarding the reaction to it once listeners have had you know, a chance to sort of go through the report. Um, and you mentioned the Zoom meeting. Do we know if um, Halapu will be releasing that recording? And if so, people who weren't able to attend, do you know anything about how they could access that uh, meeting? Well, I did ask uh, Keith Golding. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was a Zoom call, and you can resort, record Zoom calls. And I did ask Keith uh, whether there were plans for to make the, this meeting available, because there were very few people on the, in the meeting. And he said, oh, that's a good idea. And he, and he did press the record button, but he also said that he would check with uh, other people on the call to see if it was okay with them. So will other people be able to see it? Maybe yes, maybe no. And the other, the other issue is, that, um, is whether this socioeconomic agreement, uh, when it will be approved by Halibut Council. There's a council meeting at the end of this month on September 25th, I think it is. Um, And uh, according to Andy Barker, it may or may not go to council at that time. But of course, if it does, it will go without very little input from from Halibut members. Uh, We heard from, you know, less than half a dozen people on this call. There were more people... There were as many, uh, almost as many staff from Halibu and from Marathon as there were Halibu members. So if it does go before a council at the end of the month and gets approved, it will be on the basis of very little member input. The members that were part of that Zoom call, um, can you speak a little bit to their reaction? Was there a question period in, in that question period? Were there concerns raised about the uh, agreement at all? Uh, there were questions. Uh, there was uh, a presentation by, um, by Keith Golding on behalf of Halibut and then one by uh, Jamie Powell for Marathon and there were questions. And I think the, um, the range of, um, of input from Halibut members uh, range from positive from a member from uh, Central Newfoundland near where the mine is being um, will be built, who said very good things about Marathon and how they've consulted with people in the area. Uh, they've been transparent. They've been responsive. And um, and this member did comment on uh, what she called, you know, the negativity on social media about, uh, about this proposed gold mine. But she said that people in that area are very supportive and uh, are looking forward to being able to work 
and um, and have some um, you know some in some income security for uh, for some period of time, and then um, the on the other side there was concern about uh, one person from the south coast mentioned the caribou specifically and what impact it would have on uh, what is already a vulnerable caribou population when you uh, you know if you put a massive gold mine smack dab in their territory and there was a um, a woman who uh, referred to uh, the environmental impact of other mines and natural resource development specifically with um, in Alberta which uh, she seemed to have some familiarity with and then um, I raised the concern of the short period of time between uh, now and the council meeting and the fact that this would be approved by council before they had any idea what was in the environmental impact statement um, so those were the those were the ranges of opinion yeah, I guess you can tell um, just by, you know, those those concerns that were raised um, that there really is that divide between the economic side where it would create jobs. And that is something that people, especially now, are very concerned about, um, but also, you know, at what cost. So definitely something to keep an eye on and, and uh, talk about for sure. In Nova Scotia, Big Mouth fishers have been waiting for more than two decades since the Supreme Court of Canada in the Donald Marshall case ruled that they have an inherent treaty right to fish and earn a living outside the commercial fishery. Many Mi'kmaq communities live in poverty as non-Indigenous fishers reap the riches of the sea. Fed up with the weight, Mi'kmaq fishers have taken to the water fishing lobster according to their treaty rights. They have faced harassment from non-Indigenous fishers, traps cut, flares fired, intimidation. But they've also received support from Mi'kmaq people from across the region. The moderate livelihood fishery in southwest Nova Scotia says loud and clear to the feds and to the commercial industry that Mi'kmaq people are not willing to be cut out of the action any longer. But it's also a challenge to the treaty negotiation process led by the Assembly of Nova Scotia Mi'kmaq Chiefs and their treaty negotiation arm, KMKNO. Many Mi'kmaq people complain they've been left in the dark about the progress of the negotiations, or lack thereof. I spoke with Corey Francis, Fisher and Fisheries Policy Analyst, about the significance of the showdown in Sonyaville. Okay, Corey. So uh, you've been uh, you've been on the ground. You were in Sonyaville, and um, you have your ear to the ground. And what's the mood like uh, among fishers and uh, the families of fishers and the communities? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, certainly, it would depend on the time frame. But like, and I mentioned that because like a few days ago, uh, the mood was you know curiosity. Um, there was a rights-based assertion mood, and from industry side, there was a mood of discontent relative to uh, the regulation of the fisheries and, and how that may, you know, progress going forward. But certainly within the last couple of days, uh, that mood has turned more into a mood of serious concern, and um, certainly also uh, potential hostilities on both sides. There's been some um, verbal uh, exchanges between the two different groups, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal industry fishers, um, you know, boats out there, more and more boats continually come. Um, there hasn't been a lot of 
um, I guess, a call for uh, both sides to, to, to sit down at the table and other than, you know, a continuation of what I deem to be a failed process for over 20 years. So there is a migration of the move. I think at first it was one of curiosity um, with valid points on both sides, but now that has uh, that 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 whole feeling has transferred into something that almost could turn volatile because mm-hmm. of the verbal uh, exchanges and also even uh, I'm hearing rumors of you know rubber bullets fired. To, I've seen videos of flares being fired in the air uh, as boats are steaming you know 12 o'clock at night into the shore and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it is changing. And um... I mean, there's been frustration among the Mi'kmaq fishers for some time about uh, the failure of the feds to bring in uh, arrangements for moderate livelihood. Some, some individual fishers have uh, gone out on their own. So why why now in uh, late September of 2020 has there been this general assertion of, uh, of treaty rights and uh, a more large-scale uh, Almost like a moderate livelihood fishery has already started in a in a general way. So why why has this happened now? Well, I I think you know a lot of people have been following the media here in the last few months, and and to me I think one of the biggest things has changed is not not that a moderate livelihood type fishery, which is perfectly you know an inherent right based fishery for the indigenous people and including those in Sonyaville right now, but it's the industry. I guess interpretation of either the growth of that legally legal legally recognized fishery that's always been there, um, but maybe not at the scale that it's there now. And they started protesting stuff around the province, and I know you covered some of that stuff, I believe, here in the last couple of months. And that has brought it to the forefront. That has garnered more attention. So as opposed to a couple months window where you'd have people down there exercising their inherent right to a moderate livelihood. Um, now you have that attention in more and more people. And now because of the potential hostilities, there's been a call for the ramp up of lack of a better word, uh, support of a peaceful pro- uh, a protest, uh, which has increased the numbers on both sides. Now, now the reason, you know, there's another huge reason, and that is, in my opinion, as a person on the inside that has recently left this job to expose some of these troublesome things in the uh, Aboriginal negotiation, the treaty negotiations for the Mi'kmaq and Nova Scotia in particular, is that um, it's been 20 years of talking at the table and uh, millions and millions of dollars were spent. And chief and council, who are the leaders and responsible to ensure that members would get access to the fishery uh, for moderate lobbyhood and the well-being of the community, just haven't kept that promise. That promise that was discussed between the feds when, the, when these licenses were turned over um, and they were received by the chief and councils. But they're not all to blame, of course. The, access, the members are tired. They now want to make a moderate livelihood for themselves and their families, and the existing systems and negotiating tables over the tw- past 20-some years have not held up to the promise of Marshall and the excitement when that come out and that promise to, for all Indigenous people and families, to be able to uh, exercise their inherent uh, moderate livelihood rights and to make a moderate livelihood from the fisheries and other resources. Corey Francis of Acadia First Nation. And that's it for the program. Before we go, we ask a small favor. If you get us by a podcast, could you please like us on whatever platform you listen? That'll help us get us higher in the listings and help other people find us out there in podcast land.
Allison Baker is the producer of Mi'kmaq Matters. I'm Glenn Wheeler, Nimultus. Mm-hmm.